0: Gracious God, we ask that you would speak to us today, that you would both encourage us and challenge us, that you would continually drive us more toward you, that we might be who you have called us to be, and that we might do what you have called us to do. We pray these things in the strong name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. I recently read a story about a great college football coach from the 50s and early 60s named Bud Wilkinson. Uh, Consistently, his undefeated teams steamrolled the opposition. After his retirement to the broadcast booth, Coach Wilkinson was asked the secret to his success. How could he consistently mold young athletes into powerful teams year after year after year and this was his answer when a football player goes into a game he can play to a variety of different audiences he may play for the crowd in the stands for example working hard for their cheers and avoiding their booze or he might play for a special person in the stands maybe a girlfriend A player may allow the other team to dictate his play. In other words, if the man across the line isn't very good, then he doesn't play well either. If the opponent cheats and plays dirty, so does he. Some football players allow their teammates to determine the quality of their play. Some focus on the game officials, the referees. And of course, some play merely for themselves. They work hard to be the stars. Many different audiences vie for the attention of the players. My men know, however, that there's only one person watching the game that matters. Only one person whom they have to please, and that's me. Regardless of the cheers or boos, the strength of the opposition, the fairness of the officials, or the play of their teammates, I am the only audience that counts. When everyone knows that and plays that way, they pull together, they do their best, they give it their all, and they win the game. When everyone knows that and plays that way, They pull together, do their best, give it their all, and win. I find this idea intriguing. Partly because of how easy it is to see this get played out in the lives of so many players, in the lives of so many different games. Playing to the crowd, playing like the opposition is playing, playing to try and impress maybe the team. How often these days do we see a player playing for the camera? trying to be the star, trying to be a little bit more showy, trying to play for their own image, more than being effective or successful or even helpful. But that said, it's only as the whole team plays for the same audience that they can actually learn to play together. Of course, this begs a a much larger question for us, who aren't necessarily playing college football right now, but in your life, who do you play for? As you think about your day-to-day life, your daily decisions, your interactions, your priorities, your calendars, not to mention your goals and aspirations and dreams, who is the audience that you look toward? Who is the judge that evaluates your choices? Whose cheers are you working and even fighting for? Maybe it's your boss at work, wanting to make sure that you are in their good graces. Maybe it's your peers, wanting to make sure that they still accept you. Maybe it's your parents, still seeking their approval. Maybe it's the cool kids, as we aspire to be included and chosen but notice that in all of these we are letting others dictate our decisions we're we're letting others shape our schedules we're letting others mold not just our mood but our morals we're playing in essence to the crowd of course other times we maybe go too far the other way we don't play for the crowd we just play for ourselves This is what feels good right now. This is what seems right. This is the way I've always done it. This is just who I am. It's the listen to your heart advice that's become so popular and yet is so wrong. Because, of course, our hearts make terrible guides. In fact, most of us would probably be better guided by the, the, the Costanza principle from Seinfeld fame. Uh, I was reminded of this this past week. For most of us, it's probably more effective to just do the opposite of what your heart is telling you. My heart, my tummy says, eat more cake. I'm going to do the opposite of that and not. My heart says I should sit on the couch and not go for a walk. Probably should go walk. It, it ends up being sometimes maybe your instincts are actually backwards from what you should be doing. I, I, I probably should pray right now is never what goes through my head, which means I probably should. But if playing to the crowd, of course, doesn't work, and and playing for ourselves isn't much better, who are we to play for? And what would that look like? What would it look like? I mean, we're in church after all. What would it look like if we were playing for God? How would that help us to live differently? How would that reshape our decisions? Uh, Monday morning, when you sit down to look at whatever your week holds, what if God were the one that you were playing to? How might that reshape what we do, how we do it, where we go, and why we're doing it? While we think about that, let me remind you where we are. Today we continue our series studying Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And as we've been talking about, Jesus seems to be painting a picture of how we as Christians are supposed to live, and yet also how we are to be different, how we are to be distinct. Because of course, as much as Jesus' Sermon sounds like simple good news and common moral advice, the reality is that it's really difficult to live this out. And yet this is who we are called to become as disciples we are called to be beatitude people poor in spirit peacemakers, meek merciful we're called to live as salt and light into a world that, that sometimes decays and feels dark but this means we have to be better so that we can make a bigger impact so we need to minimize our anger and our lust and our dishonesty It means we need to find our worth in God so that we are able to turn the other cheek and go the extra mile even when we are dishonored. It means that we are to be the kind of people who love our neighbors and love the stranger and love even our enemies to the point where we're praying for people who persecute us. It means that we are to live toward perfection It means that we are living His kingdom come. It means that we are becoming more like Jesus. And all of that's just chapter 5. Today we get to chapter 6. So if you would, I would invite you uh, to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, as we continue the Sermon on the Mount. Today we turn a little bit of a corner. Jesus has made it all the way From blessed are the poor in spirit to be perfect, therefore, just as your heavenly Father is perfect, that was chapter 5, now He's going to give us a couple of tools to help us along the way. The challenge, though, of course, with tools is you have to use them the right way. You can turn a screw with a hammer, but it doesn't work well, and there's a good chance someone's going to get hurt. So, you have to use the right tool in the right way. And so, Jesus is going to give us some tools, but He's very concerned with how we're using them today. So, let's read. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people, then they, when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Amen. Okay, three things, giving, praying, fasting. Sounds easy enough for today, especially in light of where we have been. But let's go back through them and figure out what is Jesus trying to say. And then let's take a deeper look at the Lord's Prayer before finally getting a lot more practical as we try and figure out what this looks like in our lives and as we learn to live for an audience of one. Going back to the beginning, we see Jesus giving us an overview of where He's going. He doesn't always do that, but He does in this case. Don't practice your righteousness, your piety, your faithfulness before others in order to be seen by them. In other words, believe it or not, Jesus seems to think that some people want to seem faithful without actually being faithful. They go through the motions without actually knowing God. They want to look the part without actually living the part. Or to put it in the words of this sermon, they are playing their faith to the crowd, to an image of themselves, or to the way they want to be perceived, but not for God. They like the idea of looking religious, but the work of it, the challenges of it, even the ends of it, are simply too much. And Jesus says no. Jesus essentially says you'll get your reward from the audience that you're living for. But that may not be the reward that you actually want or need. I find that idea intriguing as well. Whatever audience you're playing to, that's the only reward you'll get from that one particular audience. That may not be the right one. That may not be why you're doing what you're doing in the first place. And Jesus then gives us three examples of this. We can do this in our giving because we want to be seen as good, as generous, as rich. We can do this in our way of praying because we want to be seen as faithful, as spiritual, as smart. We can do this in our fasting because we want to be seen as in control, as deep, as disciplined. But in trying to be seen in these ways, we're actually just playing our faith to the wrong audience. We're playing to the crowd. And Jesus reminds us that this will shape not just what we do, but how we do it, and even the results we end up receiving. So, when you give, Don't announce it. Don't don't brag about it. Don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Uh, If you're praying, same thing. You're not doing it for the praise that you get or even the peace you receive. You're doing it for God. You're doing it to be with God. And when you fast, the goal isn't to make sure that others ask you about what's wrong, that others ask you about why are you so tired and angry and what, 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 what are you doing? You seem different so that you can explain your super piety to them. No, the goal is that you're doing it in such a way where no one notices except for God because that's who you're doing it for. It's particularly interesting in light of fasting to fast in order to show others how great you are is pretty much getting that one absolutely backwards the whole point of fasting is that it goes with penitence and repentance and grief which means the whole point is not for you it's for me it's for god the reason you be, you fast is because you are poor in spirit not in order to show others how awesome you are in spirit but this illustrates the larger point well. If you give in order to be seen, then you are trying to buy a reward, which means you're not really giving at all because the reward is for you. If I give in order to be seen by you, to be praised by you, I'm really just buying your that, that reward. It's not that I'm giving to anyone. It's just I'm trying to figure out how much I have to give them in order to be approved by you. That's buying something. That's not giving something. If you're praying in order to be seen, then you are the object and aim of your prayers, not God. In trying to be seen as faithful, you're trying to be seen more than you're trying to be faithful. If you're doing really any discipline, fasting or any others, for the accolades you'll receive, then you are fundamentally missing the point. Because then the disciplines become all about you. And so Jesus seems to be pointing us toward a better audience. We do these things with and towards and for God. Not for others, not even for ourselves. But of course, as with everything in the Sermon on the Mount this then just drives us all the way back to the beginning as we recognize how poor in spirit we really are. How often am I doing some kind... It's so hard to not... It, on the odd chance I'm being faithful, and that doesn't happen much. I don't want I don't that to get out very much. How hard is it not to make sure others know that I'm being faithful? I prayed this morning, and I just wanted you all to know... Because that's never happened before. It was so good. I wanted to tell you about it. So you know how faithful I am. Man, I'm so hungry this morning because I miss food. Not because I was... That's, um, I'm just trying something. I heard a sermon the other day and it was about fasting. I'm trying it out. It's also a diet I heard about it as well. So I'm just trying this thing out. You should do it too. Fundamentally, it's just how we are is if we're doing something We want to let people... I'm doing something hard. I want to let you know that I'm doing something hard. But that means very, very quickly I'm doing it for you. And for what I receive from you. And I've lost God from the whole picture. Which is why this drives us back to the recognition that we are so poor in spirit. Which drives us back toward God. Which drives us back toward prayer which we should want to do better, to learn to do better, to practice in the right ways and for the right reasons and for God. And so, to that end, Jesus then teaches us how to pray, which brings us back to the Lord's prayer, our Father. Because more than anything else, prayer is about being with God and God being with us. As Tyler Stanton writes, prayer is about presence before it's about anything else. Prayer doesn't begin with outcomes. Prayer is the free choice to be with the Father, to prefer His company. In other words, maybe learning to pray is less about how to pray and less about what we want and more about learning to be with the God who is with us. Maybe prayer is less about what and more about who. And that's the challenge, isn't it? Because when most of us think about prayer, it's about the what. If I'm praying, there's a reason. There's something I need. There's something I want. And that's why I'm praying. And I'll add some other pieces in, but that's why I'm praying. Jesus seems to think it's less about the what and more about the who it's here again that we recognize that our audience matters. In fact, in this case, it's it's the point. If prayer is about what we want or what we're asking for, then we are the audience of our prayers. Which maybe is why we struggle so much in prayer. But if prayer is about who, if the purpose of prayer is being with God, if God is the audience of our prayers, does that then change everything? Maybe as we spend time with God, we learn to trust Him better. Which may be why the Lord's Prayer starts the way it does with our Father. I, actually, N.T. Wright makes a, a very similar point in, in a, a different way. He points out that for many of us, our the way we use our prayers, the way we talk about our prayers, the way we think about our prayers, the way we actually pray is the Lord's Prayer, but backwards. Uh, the Lord's Prayer ends with, uh, and most of our prayers, start with, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us. The Lord's prayer ends with a prayer of help. And most of our prayers start with help. God, I need Your help. But in asking for help, we then conclude that we're probably not worthy, and so then there's something in us that feels some insufficiency, so then we pray for forgiveness. So, most of our prayers start with help, then they lead to a, forgive us our debts, forgive us our sins... And then we normally end our prayer with all of our various needs and requests and asks. Give us this day our daily bread. And then sometimes, because it's all been about me thus far, I'll then get my way all the way back to the beginning of the Lord's Prayer and say something nice about God. Because, God, you can do all the things I just asked you for. How strange that in many ways we pray the Lord's Prayer backwards. We pray help, and then forgive, and then provide. But in that, we seem to be more focused on our kingdom than on His. And yet, maybe it's in putting the Lord's Prayer back in the original order that we truly learn what prayer is. Because it puts the right person, the right kingdom, back as the object of the prayer. The right audience of our praying. Our Father hallowed is your name, your kingdom come. And in light of that, then I ask that you would provide, and I would ask that you would forgive, and I would ask that you help. But all in light of your kingdom come, not mine. At that point, it does make sense to ask for provision and forgiveness and help because it's about God and not us. Notice how our asks change when we get the order right. More than that, when God is the point, look how the asks move us closer to God. To quote Stanton again, until we ask God for something, He can't disappoint or surprise us. We cannot build trust with God without asking. We can't relate to God if we never ask. Without asking, God is something less than a free relational being. He's a machine delivering on our desires, maybe even before we become conscious of what we want. Asking is the means by which we build the relationship with God that God had designed us to enjoy. Maybe we miss it. We focus so much on the what that we miss out on the who. Maybe this is why Jesus puts this right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Because ultimately, it's prayer that moves us back toward God. So what do we do with all this? What do we do with this part of the Sermon on the Mount? Well, first, and most obviously, we need to start to to try. We need to, to work on our faithfulness. Because, of course, implicit in Jesus' corrections is the expectation that these disciplines are actually happening in our lives in the first place. Uh, I mean, you can't live your faithfulness to a better audience if you aren't actually living out your faithfulness at all. And so we need to start giving generously. We need to be praying more fervently. We need to be fasting faithfully. These are the disciplines that Jesus practices. These are the disciplines that Jesus preaches. And therefore, as disciples, these should be present in our lives as well. To make us more like him, to move us more toward him, to help us become more like him. It's probably also worth acknowledging that we all have a lot of mixed motives, don't we? And so sometimes we really do need to to simply fake it until we make it. But with the recognition that we always should be moving more toward one audience. A little bit less of the audience of myself, a little bit less of the audience of others, and a little bit more toward the audience of one. Because the goal is that over time this discipline, these disciplines reshape our reasons. In other words, it may be fine if you are currently practicing these disciplines a little bit more overtly, maybe so that you're Kids can witness them a little bit, maybe because that's what it takes for you to actually practice them, but the goal is that we're always moving away from practicing our piety before others. Maybe we don't need the applause of our peers as much as we think. Maybe we don't need the approval of our parents still. Maybe we don't need the attention of the crowds as much. And maybe instead we simply need to learn to live out our faithfulness for God as He becomes the audience of one. Of course, obviously then, this spreads way beyond mere disciplines, doesn't it? How would this reshape everything in our lives? How would your life be different if not just your faithfulness was for Him, but your life was for Him? How would your moments be different this next week, your hours, your days, your months, your views, what would change in your life if you did all the things in your life for Him more than for others and more than for yourself? And you'll notice it's not that you aren't doing it. Well, kids, I would do this for you, but I heard this great sermon, so I'm not going to make you dinner tonight because I'm doing everything for God. No, 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 I'm still making dinner but I'm doing it in light of that audience, not these needs. Uh, How would it reshape everything? And this is hard because, again, we want to be seen. We want to be appreciated. We want to be noticed. That's only normal and natural. More than that, this kind of secret piety requires even more trust. Because we don't get the normal personal accolades of our faithfulness and yet according to jesus it's this secret piety that makes all the difference and this is what changes us and that this gives god the space to bless us in a whole different way as well as teaches us to trust him more this is what disciples do Let's pray. Lord God, we pray that You would help us. There I did it again, starting with help first. Lord, we thank You for who You are. And we pray Your kingdom come and Your will be done. And only in light of that, we ask that You would help us and reshape us and change us. Only... In light of your kingdom come, do we pray that you would help us be more as you have called us to be. Only in light of how would be your name that we ask for your presence to fill us in new ways. Only in light of your goodness and love do we pray that you would draw us toward better giving and better praying and better fasting, not for us but for you. Lord, this is so hard for us to even imagine, except this is what we saw time and time again in Jesus. And since it's He, ultimately, that we are aspiring to become like, we pray that we would model His behaviors, that we would be all we can be and do all we can do for You, and that that would change us. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for the ways that you are at work in our lives and our world. We pray all these things in the strong name of Jesus the Christ, amen.